Judges 16, verses 23 to 31. I'm going to read our passage and then, uh, then pray for our time in the Word, so if you would join me there. <clears throat> now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to rejoice, and they said, Our god has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, Our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country, who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, Call Samson, that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars. And Samson said to the young man who who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I might lean against them. Now, The house was full of men and women, and the lords of the Philistines were there. And on the roof, there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested and leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left on the other. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he'd killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Then his brothers and all his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtol in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had judged Israel for 20 years. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word, and we thank you for uh, the opportunity to read through it and to be uh, strengthened and encouraged by it. God, we pray, um, yeah, that that you would encourage our hearts this day. Lord, help us to look look around at our life and recognize that you have brought us where we are, and you have provided everything that we have. And so let us look with confidence at what you have given us and know that you've called us to give all of it back to you and to worship you with everything you've given us, we give it back, God. And so, Lord, we, we praise you this morning. We recognize that this day is a day you have made. This week is a week that you have foreseen and that you know. And so we worship you ahead of it, God, knowing that whatever may come is in your hands. And we give you the glory and honor and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so a quick question, maybe, maybe you might, this may be like an obvious illustration question for today, but <laughs> anybody know what a load-bearing wall is? <laughs> yeah? What's a load-bearing wall? Maybe, yeah? Anybody? A wall that bears the load. Yeah, what happens if you take out the load-bearing wall? It will fall? The, the wall? The house, yeah, 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 the whole house is like propped up by load-bearing walls. They're the ones that carry the heaviest load of the house. Um, so just, you know, keep that in mind, you know, it's an it's important piece of this, uh, piece of this day. We're, we're looking at uh, a, you know, really functional point of the whole book here uh, where we're seeing where, uh, where the faith of Samson really is and really where our hope is completely in. And so um, we're going to be looking at that today, um, just be having that, uh, that load-bearing wall in, in your head. We're going to walk through this story of Samson, and then we're going to briefly review uh, the judges that we've already uh, walked through, 
um, and I'll say it again, but like this is kind of the, the end point of the book of deliverers. So um, we're wrapping up the, a big section of the book of Judges. Um, there's actually three major sections, the prologue, the book of the deliverers, which we're just about to finish up today, uh, and the, like the epilogue of the book, which is the next five chapters going forward. So um, verses 23 to 24, uh, you might remember from previous week that uh, Samson is caught in, uh, and ensnared, ensnared by Delilah uh, and the lords of the Philistines who conspired against him to, uh, to get Delilah to show, have Samson show her his strength, where his strength comes from. And he did. He lost sight of trusting the Lord and guarding the vow that the Lord had given him. Uh, and, and Delilah handed him over to the Philistines. And they took him. And his strength was gone when he cut his hair. You might remember this. Part of the Nazarite vow is that he could never cut his hair. A razor should never touch his head. Um, and it did. And so then his strength left him. And so when it left him, they took him. They took Samson. And grotesquely, they gouged out his eyes, which is horrible um, and unimaginable. And so they remove his sight, right? And so now they are celebrating, we find in verse 23. Uh, verse 23 says, The lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god. And they rejoiced and said, Our god has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. So first, uh, just to point out again, the, the lords of the Philistines. Okay, There's five major cities. You've maybe heard me say it before. There's five major cities that the Philistines have established in the land of Israel. The Philistines came from the Aegean area of the Mediterranean and came unto the, unto the uh, land of Israel um, during the conquest era. So Israel begins conquesting Canaan, right? The land that the Lord gave them. They begin conquesting, and during the conquest, before it's finished, the Philistines on boats come to this land, okay? And they arrive on the Mediterranean Sea, or on the, on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, um, and begin establishing themselves in the land. And so at this point... Uh, hundreds of years into the conquest era, they have established five major cities, three right along the coast, uh, furthest south is Gaza, then Ashdod, and then Ashkelon, and then there's two further in, I forget the two names, there's two other ones, anyway, um, L something and something. So, someone has a map somewhere you can, <laughs> there's five cities, okay? Uh, there's five major cities of the Philistines, and so the lords of the Philistines we're talking about are like the five major leaders of these five major cities. And you might have remembered that in previous times, Samson has attacked at least two of these cities. Ash, uh, Ashkelon, he went and killed 30 of the men there and took their garments, their, their prosperity, their wealth, and delivered it over to, to um, the, the uh, 30 grooms he had the riddle, uh, riddle wager with. Um, and then also in Gaza, right, he struck a thousand down with the donkey's jawbone uh, in Gaza. And so... Um, these cities are controlled by the Philistines, and these lords are there celebrating that Samson has been delivered over to them. And they're doing two things. First, they're making sacrifice to Dagon, and they're praising Dagon. They're saying it is Dagon's strength that has brought Samson to us. Dagon has brought our enemy unto us. And I can't help but hearing the echo in my head of Judges 14.4 when Samson is, sees a Philistine woman and, and says she is right in my eyes and his parents are doubting his judgment at that time. And the scripture says, Judges 4, 14, uh, 14, 4, 
His father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for he, that is the Lord, was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines, and at that time the Philistines ruled over Israel. So they're thinking here that Dagon has delivered Samson over to them, right? And they're praising Dagon for defeating this enemy of theirs, Samson. And all the while, God is still not done, <laughs> right? He's not finished with Samson. So the lords of the Philistines, the, the five major Philistine leaders, and many people are there. So the, the Philistine leaders offer this sacrifice. They praise Dagon. Um, interestingly, Dagon is like an agricultural god, uh, but he can also be taken on as a patron god. Uh, some think that he's actually the father of Baal, because Baal, one of Baal's other names is El Dagon. Um, or De, De Dagon, which is like a, there's like a, basically son of Dagon is another name for Baal. And, uh, and so, you know, their intermingling of gods is happening here. But what can happen with a god of a land, even an agricultural one, is he can be taken as a patron god and become the one that is in charge of securing a region or securing a city. And so they see Dagon as one who is responsible for not only delivering their agricultural success, but also bringing to them Samson. And so they're praising Dagon and giving him sacrifices for what he has done for them. And so they bring out Samson, and when the people, it says, when the people saw him, that is Samson, they praised their God, for they said, our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country who has killed many of us. Um, interesting to me that they are looking at just one man, Samson, and saying, God has delivered our enemy to us. This is no longer about Israel attacking the Philistines or Israel attacking their oppressor. They are just happy that the one man Samson has been delivered over to them. What's missing is that they're not praising Dagon for delivering Israel because Israel hasn't even tried to throw off the Philistines. We've seen that this is a one man army. There's like one family that is calling out to the Lord in faith and listening for the Lord's ear and that's Manoah and his wife and then Samson their son. And Samson is the only one that is willing to go up against the Philistines and say, we can't stand for this. This is the Lord's land, and they are in it. He's the only one to take up the cause, and, and if that means he picks up jawbones and defeats lions and, and tears down temples with his own hands, then that's what it means. Israel is completely apathetic to the presence of the Philistines in their land. They recognize them as their rulers. They deliver Samson over to them willingly. Israel as a country has not took it, taken up this fight. But Samson has. And so they're praising God because they've delivered the only threat that the Philistines have. The one man, Samson. They think. So they're praising, uh, praising Dagon, the, the Philistine leaders and all these, and verse 25 says, and when their hearts were merry, um, that is, they probably had too much to drink because they're about to make the worst decision they've ever made as a country. Liter like literally, I, I, don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's small to say that. They, they're celebrating and they're, they're merry in their enjoyment that they've defeated their enemy Samson, and they say, call him out. He's worthless, right? Have him come and entertain us. They've lost their judgment, right? How, do they not forget, right? They've, they themselves have forgotten that this man took 
a jawbone of a donkey and slayed a thousand men, right? This man went down and defeated 30 men by himself in the, in the center of the Philistine stronghold and delivered it over at his wedding. Okay, he is not to be messed with. And yet they've become so merry and they're celebrating what Dagon has done that they call him out to entertain them. And he did. Comes out. Verses 25 and 26, their, their blunders get worse. They made him to stand between the pillars. And Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, remember he cannot see, he says, let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, and that I may lean against them. Apparently, Samson has architectural knowledge of what this temple looks like. Either he's been there before and realizes this is a temple of Philistines. There are two major pillars in the middle of it made of cedar wood, and if I push on them, perhaps the Lord will strengthen me. We've actually uncovered one of these temples, not in Gaza, which is where we think we are right now, but further north uh, in, near Tel Aviv, and it's this same structure, right? It's held up by these two major pillars in, in the bottom, and, uh, and they can tell this is kind of the layout that it would have been. So Samson's apparently familiar with this um, and um, looks, for, uh, looks to be placed against these two major pillar, pillars the load-bearing wall, if you will. Uh, verse 27 says this, that the, the house was full of men and women, and all the lords of the Philistines were there. So emphasizing again, like how significant the company is. We already know the lords of the Philistines are there, and the narrator is saying, remember how I said all the lords of the Philistines are there? They're all there, and the house is full. And on, top, on the roof itself, there are 3,000 men. Okay, you have to have a pretty feel like you have, that is, a pretty strong building to put 3,000 men and women on top of the roof to enjoy the celebration. I'm sure it's like some sort of like amphitheater look like that. They're looking in at him from the roof structure around. So I'm not sure how it's like configured, but there's 3,000 men and women on the roof itself, let alone like filling the building underneath. So we don't know if it's 3,000 or more. It could be more than 3,000 people. Uh, that are in the structure as a whole, but all the lords of the Philistines and their entourage has arrived. Verse 28, Samson then calls to the Lord. And I, I mean, you've heard it over and over again, so, you know, um, maybe you're tired of me hearing it, but <laughs> it goes, it's important for us to say, right? Samson is calling on the Lord. Israel has stopped calling on the Lord as a country. With the Philistines' oppression, this is the first time in the book of Judges that when they became under the oppression of their oppressor, that Israel did not call out to their Lord as a country. They didn't cry out. So we've seen from the beginning of Judges to now that, that there's been a decline, like a continual decline in the corporate faith of Israel in the Lord. And now it's down to just Samson and his family who are the ones that call out to the Lord. Perhaps there are a few here and there, but as a country, they're not coming together and crying out for the Lord's saving. And so in this moment, 
Samson cries out to the Lord and says, O Lord God, please remember me. Not like the Lord forgot him, but like remember him, like consider his account, look upon him, see the situation as he is seeing it. Please see what is happening here. Right? He's crying out to the Lord to see what is upon him. Please remember me and strengthen me only this once. O God, that it may be avenged on the Philistines from a two eyes. We have to ask some questions of, uh, of Samson's cry at this point. We don't know where, he, where he's at. Like, we can't judge his heart, right? Like, we're not, just like we can't look at each other and go, I think your heart is about 50% for the Lord. I think your heart is about 75% for the Lord. I think you're about 95% uh, with the Lord. Like, we can't look at each other's heart and, like, gauge kind of where our hearts are at, how sold out we are, like, try to determine, right? If you, if you even could determine such a thing, we can't look at each other and somehow judge where each other's hearts are with the Lord. We can't do that. We can't see in, right? We can see some fruit, and even that can be deceiving, right? And so, we don't know where Samson is at, but we, we could reckon that he probably has, uh, there's some questions we can ask. Does he know how long his hair has to be before he has regained his strength? Does he know? Right? Like, how long does his hair have to get before the Nazarite vow, like, comes back into effect? Right? Does Samson know that? I don't know if he knows that. Um, does he know what he's supposed to do to reinstate his Nazarite vow and, and gain his strength again? Like, there is a process, we understand, from the Nazarite vow that you can reestablish your Nazarite vow if you break it somehow, just by accident or whatever, right? You offer a sacrifice, and, and you go before the priest, and you clean yourself for seven or eight, I think it's eight days, and then you're reestablished in your vow, okay? So there is a reestablishment process, but does Samson know that? I don't know. I don't know if he's thought through that. I mean, he's had his eyes gouged out. He's been put in prison to grind, right? And so does he know, like, okay, my strength must be back because I've got an inch of hair, uh, 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 two inches. Does he know? I don't know if he knows. Even if he, even if he did know how to reestablish his Nazarite vow, would he have had the time to do it? Uh, would he have had time to secure the right sacrifice and, and come before the Lord and, and make himself clean again? All these things that he should be able to do to establish himself again in his Nazareth vow and presumably take on the strength that he should have in the Lord, he doesn't know. And so he cries out to the Lord in spite of not knowing if the Lord's going to show up or not but only believing in the God that he has served. But should he show up, he can do so on Samson's faith in this God. So he calls out to the Lord and says, O oh Lord, please remember me, and please strengthen me only this once, that I might be avenged on the Philistines. And at that moment, Samson grabs the two middle pillars on which the whole house rested, and he leaned his weight against him, his right hand on the other, and his left hand on the other. He pushes them aside from each other.
the pillars, we understand, are just like a meter apart. They're, they're like very close, two very close pillars. And the one, the one temple that we've uncovered, the, there's two major pillar uh, locations right at the base of the temple. And so we know that they, like, you could literally put a man between him, okay, between these two pillars, and you have enough room to push against. And this is the kind of temple that he's in. And so he's there, and he pushes against these, um, these two cedar pillars. This isn't like your, you know, manufactured in Georgia, one-year-old cedar tree. Okay, this is like the cedars of Lebanon, like first-cut wood. <laughs> this, isn't, this isn't like, you know, a two-by-four that you pick up at Home Depot, or a two-by-eight, or a two-by-twelve, any of that, right? This is a serious pillar. Pushes against it, and he says, let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed with all his strength. And the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. And so the dead he killed at his death were more than those whom he'd killed during his life. Samson, in one action, I would say one action of war against the Philistines, takes out all the leaders of the Philistines and all of their entourage that is celebrating his defeat. This is our God. They thought they had won. Does that sound familiar from anybody? They thought they had him. He was there to die and be an entertainment to those who passed by. And Samson crushes the whole building and all the leaders of the Philistines are gone. Not to be light, but it reminded me of that... that, uh, that uh, um, TV series called Designated Survivor. <laughs> you know, you know, 24, right? What's the guy's name on 24? Kiefer, right? Kiefer Sutherland, right? So he had another. I don't know how many seasons he had of it, but it was called Designated Survivor, and everybody in the U.S. government dies, except for like the Department of the Interior head, which is Kiefer Sutherland. So he becomes president, right? So it's like that. Like everyone died except for the. Kiefer Sutherland is the only one left for the Philistines to rebuild their country on, basically, which is a pretty good, I mean, that's probably a pretty good bet. I mean, anyway, never mind. As a, <laughs> moving on. Um, so he destroys the entirety of the leadership of the Phil- Philistines in one action. He says, let me die with the Philistines. And he killed more in that day than he did in his entire life. Verse 31, his brothers and his family all came down and took him and brought him and buried him between Zorah and Eshtol in the tomb of Manoah, his father. And he had judged Israel for 20 years. His people knew what happened. Okay? He wasn't like cast out by them and they weren't like unaware of who he was. Okay? For 20 years, he judged Israel. He was the one they went to for decision making and disputes, right? Like we've talked about. And we think that this time of judging for him was probably the time uh, between when he defeated a thousand Philistines with a jawbone uh, and when he went to Delilah or went down to Gaza on this uh, mission to Gaza. Okay? And so those 20 years between those time frames, the people of Israel looking at, at Samson as you're, th- you're, the, you're the judge that is in our midst and we're, we're coming to you for, for these things. And, and now at the end of his life, he, he is uh, ensnared in, in this uh, situation with Delilah and comes to this moment where he is 
forsaking God and his vow, and yet becomes humbled in it, and rededicates and dedicates his entire life, literally, to the service of the Lord. They revered him. They went and took him out, up out of Philistine territory and back to his country to be buried with his mother and his father. <clears throat> Again, the story of Samson is the last within the book of Judges that recounts the saving of Israel by a judge that is raised up by the Lord. The Lord intentionally picking somebody and saying, I'm going to raise you up to save my people Israel. And it's not going to be based on the strength you perceive you have, but rather on my saving power. After this, there's five chapters describing the real you know, bottom of the state of the nation uh, after the time of the deliverers. And just to preview it quickly, it's not good. It's getting worse, okay? The time after the judges, this coming five chapters, is marked by this phrase, in those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. They didn't look to the Lord for their strength. They didn't look to the Lord for their guidance, for their decisions. They looked to themselves. They said, this feels like the right thing to do, so I'll do it. And there's no one else here to tell me otherwise. But to this point, we have seen a group of individuals who has been called by God and submitted to God by faith to be used to save Israel from many oppressors. We've seen Othniel, a Gentile believer, a Gentile who's been uh, uh, proselytized as a child of Israel. Othniel, the nephew of Caleb. It says he had a different spirit about him. And he believed that the Lord was over Israel and he judged Israel. Ahud, we saw, who was a, a disabled in his right hand. He was made to be militarily unfunctional, but with his left hand assassinated and delivered Israel. We saw Barak, who was a, a reluctant judge, and yet even in his weakness, God showed his strength to save Israel by the faith of Deborah and Jael. And Barak was smart enough to listen about it. We saw Gideon who called himself the least of his father's house and the least and weakest tribe of Manasseh. And God comes to him and calls him out and says, now nope, you're going to save my people. We've seen Jephthah, the son of a prostitute who was cast out by his brothers, be called back to fight for Israel. And finally, we see Samson born to a woman who was called barren. Rise up and time after time believe in spite of the circumstances around him that God was present, was with him. And so I have a few questions to just challenge our hearts with as we reflect on not only Samson, um, but these judges. And the first is this. Are we willing Are, are we willing to serve the Lord with our whole life as our act of worship? Are we willing? Because God's not actually looking for the most qualified. 
It doesn't care about how qualified you are. It doesn't care about your education level. It doesn't care about your strength. It doesn't care about your financial prowess. It doesn't care about any of those things. You're not worried about those things. Can you grow in those and gain wisdom in those? Sure, you can. And there's lots to, to grow from and be wise with in your life. But is God just stacking us all up and going, okay, you're, you're a Navy SEAL for sure, and we're going to pick you out. You're the best of the best. Right? Is he doing that? You're a Marine, right? You're the Marine. You're, you're, the, you're an Army Ranger. You're one of these, right? And I'm going to pick you because you're the best to do my mission. No, he doesn't worry about that. He just wants to know, are you willing? And are we willing to serve the Lord with our whole life as an act of worship? I think Samson saw that in his life. He said, okay, if, I mean, if no one's going to pick a fight with the Philistines, I guess I'm the one that, that believes. Right? Just like David, okay? Their Goliath, a Philistine, is taunting the armies of Israel. And David's like, why didn't anybody fight this guy? We serve the living God. <laughs> what? Who, who's, who, whose side is the living God on? He's on our side. So okay, doesn't anybody want to go? No? Okay, I'll take my sling, my stones, and knock him out with one shot. This is the spirit that Samson is carrying, too. Are we willing? That's literally the key question God wants to ask you in regard to the calling he has placed on your life is, are you willing? Because he's not worried about your qualifications. He's worried about the willingness of your heart foremost. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what, the will, what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. What the Lord is looking for in us is a willing, contrite spirit that we would see that, man, if God has put it on my heart to be wherever he wants me to be, he is going to show up. And though I won't understand why and how and where and when and all those big questions we love to solve in advance of them coming, (laughs) trust me, be willing and I will show up. Um, Many of you if you've talked to my wife and I in any recent time, uh, we've been following the podcast by Elizabeth Elliot and just been encouraged over and over again by the stories uh, that have been told of Jim and Elizabeth Elliot. And man, if you don't think God just shows up in ways you don't expect, just, man, just, just go read about some missionaries. Just go hear what the Lord does. And the cool thing is that you look at their story, you look at anybody's story there, and you're just like, I don't understand why it failed at this time, or why it failed here, and then why it succeeded here. And guess what? God was only concerned about one thing, the willing heart to lay everything down and go do what God has called you to do. And so, are we willing?
Though none go with me, yet still I'll follow. Are we willing to offer our lives as a sacrifice? Are we willing to look at our, uh, the job the Lord has given us and say, God, I'm going to serve you with this job completely? Feels monotonous, feels like punching a card, but it's yours because you gave it to me. And so I'm going to do it with excellence that you will be glorified and watch the Lord show up. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world that says the only goal in life is to get the highest success you possibly can and spend it on yourself. No. See that everything that God has let pass through your hands is something he's let pass through your hands and pass it back straight to him and say, God, you've given it to me and I give it back to you. As a whole living sacrifice, I give my life to you. Are we willing? Second is this. Do we have faith that God will empower us to accomplish our calling? Romans 12 continues on after this uh, famous statement of offer your bodies a living sacrifice to challenge the church to know that we are empowered to serve one another by faith, not by how good we are at things. Romans 12, 3 to 8. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, that is the church, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of your ability to do the task. No? No. Right. Each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let them use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving in a portion to our faith, in teaching to the one who teaches in his teaching according to our faith, to the one who exhorts in his exhortation according to his faith, to the one who contributes in generosity according to his faith, the one who leads with zeal according to his faith, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness according to his faith. So yeah, he dropped out according to his faith early on because he didn't want to be so repetitive. Okay? <laughs> like, but the marker of what God is going to use his calling in you for is not based on how good you are at it, but rather based on how much faith you have that God is going to show up and use it for his glory. Samson didn't know if his hair was long enough. He didn't know if his, his Nazarite vow was reestablished. He just knew that God had saved him over and over again, not because of his vow, but because he's God. And so do we have faith that God will empower us to accomplish our calling? Man, I promise you that God is going to put you in a place where you have to believe that he will accomplish it. And that means you're going to be in a spot where you might be lacking some things. Right? And go, God, I know you've called me to do this, but how does it glorify you to operate in this way? God says, <laughs> uh, did you form the stars? Did you put the earth in motion? Did you set the moon to rotate around? Is that you? Okay. Trust me, child. Do we have faith that it will empower us to accomplish are calling. And finally, 
from where do we think our strength comes? Where is, where is our strength from? I was reminded this morning, thinking through this passage about Paul struggling with the thorn in his flesh in 2 Corinthians 12. It says this, So to keep me from being coming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, that is, God had dropped so much truth and like revelation in Paul's spirit that there was a point of like, I could easily become prideful in what God has put in my heart because it's so personal and I feel and know that God literally like told me some things and I could start to become conceited about that. And so Paul, interpreting his life, looks at his life and goes, and this is why. God gave me this thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Paul says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Don't we need to know it? Samson had nothing left. He, he didn't have any sight. He didn't have a country behind him, right? He, he had nothing. No one is there showing up to like save him from the prison. They're like, yeah, Philistine's got him. Dang. I guess he's gone. <laughs> God's like, no. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And so Paul says, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness and insults and hardships and persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When you are on mission with the Lord, you will know lack. You will, know, um, uh, you will know calamity. You will know insult. You will know hardships. And all of this is to let the world know and you know that the power of the advance of the kingdom is not by your hands or your, your greatness or your strategy, but rather by the power of the Lord himself. And so I just want to challenge our hearts that, um, you know, in, in Judges and in the Old Testament as a whole, the story presents itself that, like, the Spirit of the Lord is, seems, seems, like, transient, you know? Like, He comes and goes when He wants to show up. He rushes upon the judge when it's time to do the action or whatever it is. It feels like the Spirit of the Lord is, like, coming and going, right? There's a, probably a conversation to be had about that, you know, in, in, a, in a whole. But it's what it feels like. But we don't live in that time. <laughs> okay? The power the Lord gives us is from Holy Spirit. And He has given it to us in, in perfect fashion. And it's accessible to us at any time. He is present with us now. Okay, if you've known me long, you know that it is a pet peeve of mine. When we say, 
Lord, now that there's two or three here gathered in your name, we'll pray. And I just challenge your heart on that to say, like, Holy Spirit is as much with you, believer, when you are alone as when you are together. And yeah, it's good to recognize, like, man, Lord is here in all of us. Praise God. Like, Holy Spirit somehow is bigger because there's more of us or whatever. But do not fret if you are, uh, say, you know, Jim Elliott and his band of uh, believing brothers going out to a tribe that has never heard the gospel. Holy Spirit is with them as much as if there were a thousand congregants following with them. Holy Spirit is more, just as powerful in that moment. He's just as powerful in Samson alone as he were if there were 3,000, 30,000 soldiers of Israel. We saw it with Gideon. He pared down the army from 30,000 to 300. Why? Because the number didn't matter. It was about the presence of the Lord doing what he was called to do. And so I just challenge our hearts that 2 Corinthians 1, 21 to 22, and it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us, church, us, us. He has anointed us and has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. When you came to faith in Christ Jesus, you knew it was the power of God that saved you from whatever you're going through and also from the sinful nature that is in you. And at that moment, Holy Spirit showed up and said, yep, here I am, you're mine, and join the adventure. Are we looking at our whole life as an act of worship? Do we believe that God can accomplish it despite our level of proficiency or wherever it is? And do we remember that our strength is not found somehow inside of us, as in our flesh, but rather the presence of the Holy Spirit is what gives us strength. He is the one that has come in power in us. And he is the one that goes forth in power to accomplish the calling he's given to us. When we are weak, then we know that the Lord is the one that's going to do the work. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its challenge to our hearts to not trust in anything else but the Lord Almighty who is faithful to show up in power at the right time, every time. And so God, when it feels like you should be here by now, in our hearts, help us not to grow weary, but help us to cling to you, call out to you, cry out to you, Lord, for your help and your strength, to wait patiently on you, God, you've never, you've never been late. You've been on time every time. And so, God, we pray that you would help us to trust your time. God, let us cast aside our strengths and boast in our weakness, knowing that it is then when you show up, then when you are shown strong, when we are weak. Lord, we thank you for these judges who are an example to us. 
God to have faith when, when it seems like we shouldn't. God, to, to trust you when you ask us to do hard things. To trust that you will provide. That you're the one that brought us here and that you're the one that's going to see it through. And so God, whatever we may see in the natural, may we continue to fight in the supernatural, God, the battle that you have put before us, knowing this is a spiritual war that we are in currently. And so God, let us be bold in proclaiming your truth and your majesty, whether through worship or prayer or proclamation of your word. God, you are Lord of lords and you are King of kings. And there's no square foot of land in any of the earth that is not yours. It is all yours. And those who say they own it do not know you. God, we know you. And the earth is yours and the fullness thereof. And so, God, we pray you will be worshipped in this place, that your name will be lifted up in our world, God, that your love will be on display here in Clearwater. We exalt you. We praise you. We are humble before you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.